Join all the listeners who are listening right now ad-free by clicking subscribe on Apple Podcast, going to patreon.com slash the Murder Diaries pod, or in Spotify, search the Murder Diaries ad-free. Today on the Murder Diaries, we're speaking with our friend, Angelique Cruz, who bravely survived an attempted fetal abduction in 2011. Since then, she's become an advocate and voice for the voiceless in the true crime community. Now, here's her story in her own words. Thanks so much for joining us today, Angelique. We would love for you to introduce yourself and a little bit about your story to our listeners. Hey, y'all. My name is Angelique. You may know me from TikTok or maybe even Instagram with some of my viral videos that have gone around. I advocate about fetal abduction. I talk about trusting your instincts, that inner gut feeling. There's a lot of things that I talk about on my page, but it's really nice to be here with you guys today. I'm glad you brought up TikTok because that's actually how we met you. And now we're friends up there and on Instagram. And in one of the videos you posted, you say, in order to understand someone's story, you have to start at the beginning. And we want to give you that space now to help us and our listeners understand your story from the beginning, of course, with your boundaries in mind. So if you don't mind, will you take us from meeting your friend to February 16th? I didn't realize the anniversary. anniversary. Oh my stop goodness, it. I'm just realizing that. I, pick, I, I picked hope it that... for today. For I did, yeah, did I did. Oh, stop. <gasps> the reason why I picked wow. it was because I wanted to show other survivors that are listening to this podcast that traumaversaries are a thing. They are something that your body naturally like knows when your trauma happened. And your mind is so powerful that you can overcome it. it I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm healed, I'm a, you know... I'm, I don't have PTSD. Like, no, that's a lie. I absolutely go through moments in my life where I am traumatized all over again. But I wanted to show listeners that you can get to a stage where you're comfortable enough to talk about it, even on a big, important day, which is like my traumaversary, which is today. Yeah. I Thank don't you. know why we didn't connect the dots on the dates. I honestly wasn't even thinking about the specific number date that was today. And it just means so much that you would share part of this day with us. Wow. No, absolutely. I, like I said, I, I really do think it's important. I think one thing that I searched for as being a survivor of, in, you know, survivor of anything or a victim of anything that you just want to make sure you're not alone. I used to search all the time. How long is it going to take for me to heal? How long is it going to take for me to talk about this without crying? How long, you know, these are all things that I wanted to know so badly. And we're, this is the 13th year and um, this is the first year that I have felt okay, like really okay. I have lied to myself in the past and have said, oh, I'm fine, I'm healed. And then it took me a while to realize that you never actually heal. You just learn to cope with it better. And it's okay to not be okay. And it's also okay to be okay. Your emotions are all over the place when you go through something so traumatic. This is such a timely conversation because we actually just discussed grief anniversaries and um, trauma-versaries with another podcaster. Her name's Ashley Lemieux. She's a grief expert. That's what she goes by, but she has her MS in um, counseling for grief and bereavement. And it's just so timely that it's working out that we're talking to you on this day, right after we talked to her. And the conversations just feel so 
perfect because I, I feel like we're we're much more um, educated on, on it. Yes. Yes. If you don't mind, take us and our listeners from meeting the attacker to February 16th, 2011, which was one week before you were due with your baby boy. We were just normal teenagers. I do want to state that. Just normal teenagers like any other person and seniors in high school. And we lived in a small town and it was in Maricopa, Arizona. Now, it was a small town, so I knew everybody and nobody was pregnant. Again, I was a senior and it was very uncommon, actually. Like a lot of people weren't pregnant (laughs) around that time. So my friends had met this girl Cassandra. So they met Cassandra and they thought that since she was pregnant and I was pregnant, that we would be really good friends. So they introduced us and we kind of just hit it off from there. We went out to eat at Denny's in Chandler. And then after that, we went to the mall. And then after that, we actually went to Babies R Us. And I remember at that moment, we were actually running around with like little those little guns that you use to like do your baby registries. So like we had a really good time, you know, I felt like it was really nice to meet somebody who was also pregnant and understood what it was like to be a teenager, have fights with your boyfriend and also being terrified to know how am I going to raise a baby when I'm literally a senior in high school. <laughs> From that moment though, I we kind of just talked over social media. Um at this time it was only Facebook that was out. I think we had MySpace also at that time, but kind of we were drifting away and kind of going into that Facebook, you know, scene and we just kind of kept contact from there. And then one day she just hit me up out of nowhere. It ended up being February 16th. And she wanted to come over to bring me baby shower gifts because she had missed my baby shower, which was a week prior. So it was, yeah, like a week, I, don't, I can't do the math, but it was a week prior. <laughs> so she ended up coming over to my house. And, you know, I was a really nice person. I will state that. I was very, very nice. And there were things about Cassandra that I missed. Just normal things. You know, she was a little weird. Um, and when I say the word weird, what I mean by that is that she kind of needed a lot of attention. There were certain things that she was doing. She was she mimicked my life a little bit. And my mom caught on to those certain, like, you know, things. But again, these were all kind of things that we thought that were just like she needed attention she was new to our town. She wanted friends so badly. And remember, at that point, we're just teenagers. And teenagers are just weird altogether. So I bypassed all of that. And being the nice person that I am, I gave her the benefit of the doubt that you know she just really wanted to be my friend. And I basically just let her come over and hang out with us all day long. I lived with my parents at the time. And Cassandra and I actually hadn't hung out We only hung out that one time. So I will say that we only hung out that one time of meeting, which would have been like in November, December-ish. We had stayed in contact over Facebook, but she was friends with all of my friends. And she actually at one point lived with one of my best friends. I guess I just trusted that fact because all my friends like knew her. They were all going to like these little parties or doing things. And she was pregnant, but she was going to these, you know, events and she wasn't, you know, doing anything wrong, but like she was just going to these events. So she met everybody. That just happened to be the only time that me and her had actually like connected in person. But again, we talked over Facebook all the time. We made plans, but I was very flaky. I'm not going to lie. I was a very flaky person and I was just pregnant. I didn't feel good. Like the last couple of months of my pregnancy, I just was not feeling good. Um, I ended up having preeclampsia, which makes more sense as to why I was not feeling great. And so I would always make plans and then just kind of brush them off. 
I invited her to my baby shower. She wasn't able to come. So on February 16th, she had asked me, hey, would it be okay if I came over? I know you don't want to go out, but like, can I come over and bring you the baby shower gifts and just hang out with you? And I had blown her off so many times. And I remember actually having a discussion with my mom telling her a couple days prior how bad I felt by brushing her off all the time. And the weird part about it, like now, you know, hindsight 2020, kind of looking back, I just had this weird feeling about Cassandra that I did not listen to. Knowing now as I'm older and knowing like now to listen to that gut feeling, like it's crazy that I just had this weird feeling about her as a person. But my mom was like, Angelie, give her a chance. Let her come over. And I was like, what harm could happen? My mom's home. My brothers are home. Like it's just a friend coming over. So I let her come over. Little did I know that letting her come over would literally change my life forever. (laughs) So she got there and your family's home. And you guys go and hang out in your bedroom and just chill? Or uh, what happens next? Yeah. So we spent all day in the living room with my mom. Um, I think at that moment, it was like 16 and pregnant that was on. So we watched a lot of 16 and pregnant. She was probably there from morning to night. So like, it feels like when I talk about it, like there was a lot that happened. The only thing I can really remember is just watching TV and eating, which was like the best thing of my life at that point. You're pregnant. So that's pretty much what we did the whole time. Just talked, ate, and watched a lot of TV. And I do remember at one point, I felt kind of awkward because I was kind of not doing anything with her, just watching TV. So I remember yawning and like trying to like get her to like get the hint that like I'm tired or like maybe like it's time to go home type of thing. And she wasn't getting it. (laughs) And she ended up telling me that she didn't have a ride back home. She actually didn't have her key. So she kept making up excuses as to why she could not leave. And so I finally just gave in and was just like, it's fine. Like, you can stay here because I am a nice person. I, you know, that's why I state how you stayed at the beginning, you know, in order to understand somebody's story, you have to start from the beginning because you have to understand who that person is and why they allowed that to happen. You have to know what their boundaries are. Every person is different. And I happen to be that type of person that does want to please people and make people happy. And I'm also just extremely nice. Sometimes I'm too nice and it's something that I've recognized. But that's kind of one thing that I always tell people, you know, before you judge, you can't judge somebody until you know who that person is. And that's what ends up happening a lot with true crime um, altogether, just a true crime. People don't know who that person is. So it's easy to judge them. I'm sorry, but to get back on track, all day long, she kept trying to get me to go to the park. So she kept, she called me lazy at one point because she wanted me to go for a walk with her. And I was just, big and pregnant. and I don't want to leave. And so I remember when my mom left to football practice, she had offered for us to come with her. She was like, Angelique, do you want to come with us? And we'll all go for a walk. Like, it's nice outside. It's about to be like, it's the evening. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, like, let's do that. So I told Cassandra, hey, let's go for a walk. And immediately she was just not okay with that. She did not want to go for a walk. She did not want to go outside. She did not want to leave my house. She only wanted to stay there with me. And it was really weird. But like I told my mom, it's fine. Like, it's okay. Like, we'll just stay home. I think she made up an excuse like her stomach was hurting or something along those lines. And remember, she's pregnant also. So at this moment, you know, I'm also trying to do what's right by whatever she wants to because she's also pregnant. Maybe she doesn't feel good or she's feeling nauseated. And so we ended up just staying home. So that is what made us stay home instead of going to the park with my mom for football practice. And when my mom had left, it was literally like a light switch went off. She kind of 
just started doing like different things. Like things were just weird. And one of the things was that she came to my house with this diaper bag. It was a big diaper bag. And there were presents in there. Now, when she first arrived at my house, she told me about the presents, but she didn't bring the presents out. And so when my mom had left, it was now time, I'm guessing, for her to bring the presents out. So she pulled up a chair, put it in the middle of my kitchen and told me to sit in the chair. And it was already turned around, like basically like having it turned around and close my eyes. And I was like, huh, this is weird. And she was just like, well, I want to give you these presents, but I'm going to drop them into your lap. And I was just like, huh, this is weird. Like I've never given, I've never been given presents like this. Like in my head, I'm just thinking about all this, but I'm also not going to be rude. So I sit in the chair, we're in the middle of the kitchen and she would come over and drop these baby presents in my lap and they would drop one by one. And it was like a receiving blanket, a newborn blanket, uh, like a little, like little booties, uh, mittens, like. It was basically just like one of everything that you could possibly think of when you have a baby, like what you would need. And I would just kept telling her, thank you. Like, you know, at first it was, I just felt really, really scared and nervous, but I couldn't pinpoint like why. And when she dropped the present in my lap, I was like, whew, it was almost like, oh my gosh, like I'm being exaggerative. Like, okay, she, 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 she is giving me presents. Like, this is just how she's doing it. This is a weird thing, but it's happening. So it made me like it made me feel better because I went against my I went against like my, that inner feeling that I was feeling because everything was normal. So as she's dropping those presents on my in my lap, I'm just like, oh, thank you, thank you, you know, telling her thank you a bunch of times. And she told me that she had this last present for me that it was a baby light. So do you guys remember those pillow pets that came out and they shined on the ceilings? And at that moment, they were really new and they were really cool. And I really wanted one. So I was super excited because I did not get one for my baby shower. And um, I told her, yeah, like, let me see it. And she was like, oh, no, like, I want to show you in the room. Because at this point, it started to get dark outside. So, you know, it was pretty dark in the ha- in my room. And she was like, I would like to show you in your room. And I was like, well, why can't you show me right here? She's like, well, it was specially made for Ryland. And I was like, oh, she was like, yeah, I had it. Like, it's a special present. Like I had it specially made for him. And I was like, oh, thank you. Like, that's really nice of you. And she was like, yeah. So I just want to show you in the room. And I was like, okay. So I went to the room and she had turned the light off and it was already pitch dark. And she told me to stand there and to turn around and close my eyes. And as I was standing there, I started to like fidget with my thumbs And I started to get like really, really nervous. And it was the same feeling that I was feeling like back in the kitchen, except this time it was really like amplified. And I started to hear things. (laughs) It sounds really weird, but I don't know how else to explain it, except for like, it was like somebody was whispering in my ear telling me that I was about to be murdered. And not even just murdered, like I kept getting these like, I don't know how to put them, like almost like flash. Like, I I swear I could like see myself. It was like almost like a visions, I guess you could say. I feel like I could see myself getting murdered, like and getting stabbed, but I was also thinking of it. And I kept trying to stop myself from that. So like, as I'm standing there, I just kept thinking, what would you do if you were to get stabbed? How would you react? How would you save yourself? How would you defend yourself? Like, and these were all just like things that like, I've never thought of before. And so I naturally started to not want to listen to those feelings because like who thinks you're about to be murdered like who thinks that so I started to tell myself and calm myself down and be like and this is all in my head guys all in my head 
I'm having this discussion with myself, telling myself that I'm crazy and that I didn't take a nap today and that I'm pregnant and I'm having delusion, like I'm being delusional basically is like how I start to tell myself and calm myself down. But this gut feeling that I'm having and these thoughts and like these voices that I'm hearing are all just like screaming at me and telling me like, no, like they don't, like don't ignore it, don't ignore it kind of thing. And so as I'm standing there, I grab my, my phone, I have my phone in my hand and I put my mom's phone number in my phone and I put it to my chest and I put my finger on the send. It was a flip phone. So I put my finger on the send button and I don't know exactly why I did that. All I kept thinking at that moment was if she were to attack me, my mom could hear everything. Like even if my mom didn't answer, if I left a voicemail, like she would hear everything and there wouldn't be any questions of what happened to me. And it's like, who has these thoughts though? Like what, like I I just, it's really hard because at being 18, you never think anything bad's going to happen to you. You never, you know, you don't think that these things actually happen. Um, You never think that you're the person it's going to happen to. So I started to tell myself that I was crazy. Sorry, sometimes I get a little nervous talking and it's real. I'm very passionate about trying to figure out how to put this feeling into words where other people can understand it or not even understand it. If they experience it, they know what it is because I didn't know what it was. Being 18, I did not know that there was this gut feeling that was going to tell me all these things. So I, if I start stuttering, it's just because I really want to make you guys understand and it's important. So to kind of get back to those feelings and what I was explaining, I want the listeners to understand that this was maybe less than a minute. It sounds like I'm having a five minute conversation with myself, but I was not. It was absolutely less than a minute, maybe even, maybe even less than 45 seconds at this point. It happened so fast, but my brain can recall all of it just happening so slowly. And so let's kind of go back to me standing there with my finger on the send button. I am feeling those feelings and I'm trying to ignore them. But at the same time, I'm all, that, that feeling is like literally just like telling me not to ignore it. It's like you have, you guys ever, you know, seen those like the devil and the, the angel it was kind of like that, except yes. it was like both me trying to figure out like, do I listen? Do I not listen? Do I listen? Do I not listen? And so I took the chance and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm about to see what's going on. And so I have my I have my hand on the call button. I turn my body sideways. And when I do that to see her, my bed is right behind me. So I make an excuse that my back is hurting. I'm like, well, you're taking a long time. My back is hurting. And as I'm having all these feelings, as all this is going on, she's just digging through this bag. I, I I honestly blocked her out, but she's just digging through this bag. So I turn my body so I can see her. She then gets up and guys, it's pitch dark, pitch dark, no light at all. She gets up behind me on my bed, like climbs on like into my, onto my bed and is behind me at this point. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I just, I'm just going to show you the light. I'm going to put it over your head. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. The head thing. Like she wants to put it over my head. So I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I don't feel good. I feel very uneasy. I'm terrified, but I'm also talking myself out of it, telling myself that I'm going to be okay because that's just who I am. So as she puts, as she's about to show me the gift, she puts her hand on my shoulder and she leans me forward. And I'm sitting on my bed at this point. So when she leans me, picture a nine month pregnant woman being bent over on their stomach. And I'm like, Cassandra, that hurts. And she goes, one two. 
as she says like three, I immediately like something inside of me and that voice that I told you guys about literally screamed, get up. And I listened and I got up, ran to the door, turned the light on. I could see her putting something back into her bag and I could not, I, I could not see what it was. I was never able to like see what that was, but she put something back into her bag and immediately when that happened, her phone rang. So as her phone rang, it was like a distraction for both of us because what was I going to do? Like, just go over there and be like, tell me what you're doing. Like, she was obviously on the phone with somebody. And I thought I was going crazy. So I walked out of the room and I tried to collect my thoughts. I tried to walk around. I was pacing in my in my kitchen, trying to put together everything that just happened. Obviously, I'm here. Obviously, I'm not, nothing happened to me. Obviously, I'm not like, not, like I'm alive. So what just happened? And so like, and I do know, I watched way too much SBU and way too much crime stuff to know that you never let them, somebody know you're going to get, like, you know, you're about to be murdered. You don't do that. Don't let them know. But also remember and put yourself in my shoes that I was 18 years old. And if I was just about to accuse this girl of trying to kill me, God, the what the what are all the kids going to say about me? Like, what's everyone going to, they're going to call me crazy because I just accused our friend of trying to murder me. And she was trying to give me a da- a light. She was trying to give me a light. Like it's there the were peer pressure factors. of it all. Yeah, the peer pressure of it all. And I would love to say that I didn't fall into that peer pressure, but absolutely. Like I am only human. I was a teenage girl. I fell into that. So I very much cared about what my peers thought about me. I am not ashamed to say that. <laughs> Here I am 31 years old and I'm I'm not ashamed of that. That's who that's who we are. It's how you grow up sometimes. It's Literally one of the most important parts of your psychological development in that stage of life during adolescence is peer pressure and it can lead you towards good and it can lead you towards bad, but it's going to be there and it's a really important part, unfortunately. It is. And it's a natural thing. And, you know, people sometimes say, oh, you're so, you fall into peer pressure like it's an insult. It's not an insult. It's something that a lot of us go through. And I'm sure everybody has done it once in their life. <laughs> They literally have campaigns about peer pressure for high school students and, you know, uh, junior high school students. It's so common. Yeah, see, that makes me feel better. (laughs) It's part of Erickson's psychological developmental model. Um, Probably like flopping what it should be called all these years post-college, but it's literally part of like a central process, so. Okay, see, there we go. You already know that Shopify is taking the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store, from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. 
do retail right with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash murder diaries, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash murder diaries to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash murder diaries. Something I did notice was you put physical distance between yourself and Cassandra, which I thought was, even if you weren't thinking about it, you made sure to give yourself that space, at least to breathe and to like collect your thoughts. So I think that was really smart. Oh, yeah. It was, I I needed to breathe. I needed to remember that I was okay. And I needed to collect all those thoughts of one. and, And at the same time of collecting those thoughts, though, it's like, I can't let go of what just happened as much as I wanted to. And I wanted to be like, okay, nothing happened to me. Like, let's just continue. No, like there was, there was something going on. And I just, there was that investigator in me that wanted to figure it out at the same time, even though I knew that possibly like something bad could happen to me. I was like, no, I need to figure out like what's happening. So I just played, I played along is what I did. You know, she came out and she acted normal. So I was like, okay, she's acting normal. Like, let me just see how far this is going to go. She did try to get me back in the room. So I was like, okay, like, I'm okay. (laughs) But later on that night, she did try to get me to leave with her. So I didn't want to question her and ask her like what was in the bag. I just kind of let it be because I didn't know it was in the bag. And I was kind of scared to find out what was in there. So I just let it be. I I didn't ask anything. I just continued my night. And later on throughout the night, she had asked to try on like a, like she was talking about how her boyfriend was coming to pick her up in like an hour and they were going to go out to eat, but she had nothing nice to wear. I was like, well, you can go inside my closet if you want and go look and see if there's anything that fits you. Like by all means, go ahead. So she did go into my room. And I remember right before she went into my room, I lit a candle it was one of those teacup candles. So like you light the teacup candle and like the senses, it like gets the senses and they go up. I had one of those in my room. And so I lit it. There was no reason why I lit it. I just lit a candle. And when she went in there to try on clothes, she closed the door. And then when she reopened the door, she told me to come look. So I went into the room. I saw what she was wearing. I said, that looks cute on you. If you want to have it, you can have it. Like, that's fine. And I noticed that the candle was out and I smelt smoke. Like I smelt something smoky. And I was like, huh, do you smell that? And she was like, smell what? And I was like, that smoke smell. And I was like, why is the candle out? And she was like, oh, I don't know. And I look up at the fan, the fan's off, the windows are closed. And so I'm just like, what? I'm like, so you don't know how the candle went out? And she's like, no, I don't know how the candle went out. I had no idea. And I'm like, huh, it just really smells like like smoke in here. So I went looking all around my room. I looked underneath my bed. I looked in my closet. I looked in my dressers. I even went to my brother's room, which was right next door to me, looked in his room, nothing. So then I'm like, okay, what's happening? So then I decide to light another candle because I am convinced that she is setting my my room on fire. I don't know how I, I don't know why that's instantly what I thought. But at this point, I just thought that she was, that something was going on. So I lit another candle as a test. And I put it in my room. And then she goes, oh, I'm going to try this other dress on. I was like, yeah, go ahead. Try the other dress on. So she tried the other dress on. And as she's trying the dress on, I stand next to my pantry, which is diagonal from my room. And I'm literally looking like... So like if I'm holding... If I'm on the pantry door, 
I'm literally looking at my room and I can see her shadow pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I was so paranoid. I didn't want her to know that I knew I was looking. So I pretended to like go through chips. And I was like, Cassandra, do you want some chips? Like, do you want some Doritos? Like, and she was responding back to me. No, no. But I could see her shadow pacing. So whatever was going on in that room, she was nervous. And in my head, I was like, she's setting my house on fire. Like, I don't know the reasoning behind it. I just know that she's setting my house on fire. So she opens the door. I immediately barge my way in there. And I look at the candle and I go, why is the candle out again? And she goes, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, what's going on? Like, there's stuff that's been going on today. What is going on? And she started stuttering. And so I started looking around my room again, out under my bed again, because the smell is 10 times worse now. I can't see smoke anywhere, but I can smell it. So I go open my closet door and my whole closet is in flames. I had just looked in the closet, not even like four or five minutes prior, but my all my clothes are on fire. So I straight go into panic mode. I run to my, like I start, I'm just like, oh my, like I'm in straight shock right now. Honestly, I forgot about the fact that I felt like I was going to be killed. I forgot about the fact that she started the fire. I was just in straight panic mode. So I was like screaming, like, call 911, call 911. Like, and I was like running back and forth from my kitchen, nine months pregnant with big pots. I threw a pot at her and told her to help me. And I don't remember what she was doing, but I don't think she was helping me. So I actually put the fire out. I was coughing a lot. My whole room is just in smoke and she's coughing a lot. And so I opened my garage door and my garage door is right next to my room, like where the hallway's at. And when I open the garage door, like smoke is just rolling out of my house. And I grab her by her, like her shirt. And I drag her outside because we're, we're at this point, we've inhaled so much smoke that we're like coughing and coughing and coughing. So before, before we even got outside, I panicked and I said, call 911. Well, I just grabbed my phone and I pressed send, send, send. And it called my best friend. And I'm just screaming, call 911. Are my house is on fire. Call 911. And he's like, okay. And he lives down the street from me. So he immediately rushes over with his mom. And I don't I don't remember what happened like between there, between it was a couple minutes, but my my friend got there before like the firefighters got there, like before everyone got there. So my house is still like really smoky at this point. I thought that I put the fire out, but Cassandra went outside and she was on the phone barefoot, like walking up and down my street, just talking to somebody. My friend's name, his name is Skylar. He was like, what's going on? And I was like, can I talk to you by your, like just you and I? And he's like, yeah. And at this point, Skylar's mom is calling my parents like, hey, we're at your house right now. Your house is on fire. Like, and just freaking out. I don't know what's going on. So like they're talking, my mom and my mom is on the phone talking with his mom. So I pull Skylar to the side and I'm like, Skylar, can I talk to you? And he's like, yeah. He's like, what's the matter? Like, what's going on? And I was like, Skylar, I'm going to tell you something. And I just need you to believe me. I need you just to believe me and not question me and just, just listen. And he's like, okay. And I was like, listen, I think she was trying to kill me. I specifically think she was trying to stab me. I don't know why. I think she started my house on fire. I don't know what's going on. I think she's jealous of my life because I don't know why anybody would want to hurt me, but these are all the feelings that I'm having. And that's exactly how I'm talking to him, like a crazy person. I'm just just talking and rambling. And he is looking at me with his mouth open, like, you thought she was going to kill you? And I'm like, yeah, I think she was going to stab me. I think I think she had a knife to my back. I felt I could feel it. Like, I don't know how else to explain this to you. And he was like, okay. 
like he didn't believe me, but he wanted to, he wanted to believe me and he was trying to support me. And he's like, okay, well, let's try to figure out what's going on. The cops are coming up. And so at this point I feel safe because the cops are there. The paramedics are there. The firefighters are there. I am having full on contractions at this point because I am nine months pregnant and I inhaled a bunch of smoke. And so I start to get checked out. I see the firefighters going in and the fire had restarted. So I put the fire out, but I didn't put it out all the way. So the fire did restart. So the everybody's inside doing what they're doing. My mom and dad are inside and trying to figure out what's going on. I am sitting with the paramedics, scared out of my mind right at this point. I am so sorry. I know I just cussed. <laughs> but that is what's going on. I am scared out of my mind. So I'm sitting there with the paramedics and... She also is having contractions. So she's having these contractions like I am. She's mimicking me, following my lead. And I just look at the paramedics. They're giving me oxygen. They're giving her oxygen. And my mom is like, Angelique, are you okay? And like, I start to feel better after the oxygen and after me like breathing, my contractions are slowing down. I decide I don't want to go to the hospital. And my mom is just like worried about me. And I'm like, mom, like go check on Cassandra. That's who I am. Even with the girl that tries to kill me and sets my house on fire, I'm still like, go check on Cassandra because she something's happening with her. For our listeners, I want to specify that when Angelique is talking about Cassandra having contractions, she's using air quotes. Yes, she is having these contractions, air quote, air quote. <laughs> Just like I am. She's mimicking everything that I'm doing. And I tell my mom to go check on her. My mom goes, stands over next to her. My mom starts to catch on to what's happening. Also, I forgot to tell you, I made Skylar pinky promise me that he was not going to tell anybody that I thought she was trying to kill me. So that's a big pinky promise. At that point, that's like, you can't, you can't tell anybody anything. So as I'm, you know, telling my mom to my mom to go over to, to Cassandra, check on her. My mom starts to catch on to that Cassandra's lying because all the stuff that she gave us, like where she lived, her phone number, her name, everything, how many months she was, everything was not the same as what she told us. So my mom's like starting to catch on like this girl's a liar or something's going on. I get released. Like they tell me, okay, your levels are better. So I just, you know, am standing. I think I go back inside at this point and I see Skylar talking to his mom. Soon after I see his mom go to my mom. And then soon after that, I see like these eyes, like where they're looking at me and I can tell they're talking about me. And I look at Skylar and I go, did you tell your mom? And he's like, I had to, Angelique. Like at this point, Cassandra's being weird right now. And if she was trying to kill you, like we need to know, like we, the, the cops are here. This is the time for an investigation. Like if something's happening, we need to know. And I just look at him and I give the biggest sigh. And I'm just like, thank you. Like, thank you. I wouldn't have had the guts to do it because I was so scared of accusing somebody of trying to hurt me that I didn't want to, I didn't want to say it out loud or it would be real. So he did it for me basically. And my parents dragged, like they grabbed me and they go, let's go inside. So we go inside the house and they're like, okay, what happened? And I'm like, mom, I, I had this feeling. I kept thinking that she was going to stab me. I, I, I just, I don't know how else to explain it. I think she set our house on fire. My mom just kept looking at me like, why though? Like, why would she do this? And I'm like, I have no idea. And she's like, well, what, how do you know? And I'm like, she had this bag with this light in it. And I'm trying to explain to them like the events that happened. And they're all looking at me like I'm crazy. Every single one of them are looking at me like I'm insane. The paramedics come in and they go, she wants to go to the hospital. Her contractions, air quote, air quote, are 
getting intense. She's crying. We She wants to go to the hospital. So I'm annoyed because I'm just like, okay, like I'm the one that's nine months pregnant, but you're the one that's going to the hospital. <laughs> so like not annoyed, but more of just like, okay, that's a little dramatic kind of thing. And so they start to grab all her stuff. And I go, wait, 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 can I please look in that bag? And they're like, why? And I said, because, and I, they give me the bag. I put the bag on top of the counter in front of everybody. And I'm like, she kept saying she had this light in the bag. It was this light that shined on the ceilings. If the light is in there, I'm crazy. Like obviously things I'm, I am way over analyzing everything. And as I'm talking to them, I'm reaching my hand into the bag and I immediately feel these two metal objects and I stop and they all look at me and like, I take the biggest deep breath and I pull them out and they're two large butcher knives. And I drop them on the counter and I start screaming, I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. I told you she was going to stab me. I told you I felt like she had. A, I had a knife to my back. Like I just kept saying that. And I was in shock at that point. And so that was the only thing that I could say over and over. And oh, it was like a loop. I just kept saying, I told you she was going to stab me. I told you she was going to stab me. And I was just hysterical at that point. They ended up pulling out alcohol. They ended up pulling out um, scissors a newborn diaper. So these were all the, all the gifts that she gave me prior were all things that like, not necessities that you would need, but things that you would want to put on a baby. Obviously after, you know, when you want to take a baby home, which would be like a beanie, you know, mittens, socks, a onesie, a newborn diaper, a newborn blankets, all of those things. But all the rest of the stuff in there were supposed to be used to perform the C-section. And so at that point, she is already on her way to the hospital and they shut my street down and they put it as an investigated, you know, attempted murder case. And so basically like nobody could get in and nobody could get out. So my whole street was blocked off. They let my, my now husband, but he was my boyfriend at the time. They only let him in obviously because he's the father of my son. And I had sat on the couch staring at a wall and I just kept repeating the same thing. I told you she was going to stab me. I told, I was like in a trance. It was really, really bad. I couldn't believe how spot on my instincts were. And even till this day, it still doesn't make sense to me. It does, but it doesn't because like how spot on I was on that. Like not even just the fact that I was going to get killed. I was very specific that I was going to be stabbed. I was very specific. There was a knife to my back. It was just the whole, I was specific about the fire. Like it was just insane on how it all happened. And that was the moment that I realized that like we have intuitions, we have gut feelings, we have instincts. And I can promise you that you learn that you never want to ignore those instincts again. <laughs> Later on in court, was there a confession? So no, actually, so she didn't get arrested until like March something. So February 16th is when this happened. She didn't get arrested until March. And the way I found out that she confessed everything, I got a phone call at... So I already gave birth to Rylan at this point. I am terrified like hell because... I'm afraid that she's going to come back after me for Ryland because I don't know the reasoning as to why she wanted Ryland. I just know that she wanted to perform a C-section on me. These are my thoughts. Sorry. They, mm -hmm. These aren't even confirmed thoughts. These are just what the investigation is for. And whatever day, I think it was March 4th or March 3rd, but she, I had gotten a phone call at midnight and I was asleep. My mom actually picked the phone up and it was Sergeant Mary Turner to let us know that they had her in custody and that she confessed everything. And that she was going to be put away for a very long time. And that I could sleep tonight. Because those couple weeks that she was out and I had given birth were hell. Like I had such... I, I, I was so traumatized by everything. I was scared. 
I, I I would wake up in the middle of the night and start swinging on my parents. Like I was, I was, I, I couldn't, I couldn't function. It was honestly, I don't even remember being a mom. Like I'm, I don't remember everything. What was the response from your social group at the time? Obviously, it's public knowledge now. Your whole street was shut down. There's an investigation going on and you have mutual friends. Did they know the extent? Did you inform them what had happened? What did they think about her at the time? Because obviously she's not in custody until a month later. So right after it happened, I only told a few people, but the people that I did tell didn't believe me. And they thought I was an exaggerator and they thought that I was looking for attention. That's just kind of what people thought, like that knew what was going to happen, like knew when I told them or my mom told them or, you know, like family members, stuff like that. So I actually didn't talk about it with anybody because of that. It was almost like a moment where I thought I was still crazy. It wasn't real until she got arrested. But I do remember when I went into labor, they like I had police like I had police like escorts outside my room because remember, she's out and about. So they did that and that made me feel safe. But no, like I don't feel like I had that much support. And to be honest, I actually did a lot of the investigating myself. I ended up finding out that like I knew her cousin from when I was younger. She, we actually dated the same guy. And I actually called her. I found her cousin on social media, got the number, called her. She confirmed to me that Cassandra has always had issues, that she was you know, schizophrenic, manic depressant, bipolar and that she had multi-personality syndrome. And I think that's what it was called back then. It's now DID, but back then it was like multiple personalities or something like that. And so they that's how I found out that Cassandra had like mental illnesses, which was, I had no idea. So I started piecing things together. The cops even had me come down to the station and they had me call Cassandra and act like we were still friends and act like nothing had ever happened. And they wanted me to get her to admit that she was in the room alone before the fire started because they had her fingerprints on the teacup candles. Yeah, there was, I'm sorry, there was, I think I got off track, but there was a lot of things that happened. That must have been even more traumatic to have to, you know, play nice with the person who was trying to hurt you and your son. It was extremely difficult to do that. All I kept thinking was the bigger picture. And if we could just get her to admit that she was in the room by herself, because she was telling them a different story. She was trying to say that I started the fire. She told them that we were smoking marijuana in my room and I had ashed out the pipe and it caught fire. That was her story. At what point do you find out or do investigators find out that her pregnancy isn't real? So that night that she went to the hospital, they actually gave her a pregnancy test and they found out that night that she was not pregnant. And when they said that to her, she had fled and left the hospital. So that was the only time that they had her. And when they, by the time she got to the hospital and they found the butcher knives, we found like, obviously my street is shut down. She had already left the hospital at that point. So they couldn't find her. So she was basically out and about. Nobody knew where she was. Nobody could find her. Her, like it was just she was basically just like poof she like disappeared and the way that they found her was so she lived with her sister and in Maricopa and that's kind of like how she that's how she moved to Maricopa and then that's why she was kind of like couch surfing to different people and she lived with my best friend at one point like she didn't have a mom her mom died her dad lived in Mexico so her she was kind of just like this person like this lost soul that just kind of went around everywhere like she wasn't in school with us or anything I think she dropped out of school at that point. Her sister was on vacation when this all happened. 
And so remember I told you that I got in contact with her cousin? When the sister got back from vacation, she was like in a different country. When she got back from vacation, the cousin called her and said, hey, there's a lot of stuff that's been going on while you've been gone. Something is happening with Cassandra. This girl called me. Her name's Angelique. She stated that, you know, Cassandra tried to kill her, perform a C-section, or she thinks that Cassandra was trying to kill her to perform a C-section on her to take her baby, and that she also started her house on fire. The sister didn't even question it. She called Maricopa PD immediately and said, come get my sister. She's here at the house. She didn't even question it. And that is how they found her. So you mentioned that she had familial connections with Mexico. And I remember in our previous conversation, you mentioning that she had a plan in place to take your baby and bring him over the border and possibly sell him. When did that come out? Can you give us a little more details about that part of this the story? Yeah. So like when we went to sentencing and when I had talk, talked to like the detective, they had always told me that I was always convinced or thought that she was obsessed with having babies and that like she basically was going to take Rylan for herself. That was a story. That is what I've always known as long as I can remember. I remember doing a news article with somebody for in Maricopa and he's the one that actually brought it to my attention that he thinks that I was lied to. He did a lot of investigating and he got all of like the tapes and whatever whatever they would give him. So like t- like tapes of her confession and also like uh the police report. After the interview, he came to my house and he said, I'm just going to drop this off to you because I don't think they told you the whole truth. He said, I don't think that you know the actual reasoning as to why Cassandra wanted your baby. And he said, when you get, when you feel like good, he's like, you should read this. I didn't want to read it. I shredded it and I never wanted to look at it ever again because I was just, I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know. I knew the truth. That's how I felt. And I didn't want to go back down that, like down that lane. This was like, I just didn't want to do it. So years later, come 2020, you know, when Save Our Children's came out, I started to get really curious. And I remember that conversation with the news reporter. So I decided to go and get all of my tapes and like all the CDs that they had of like, you know, her confession, me talking, just all the investigations and get the police report. And when I listened to the tapes, not once did I ever hear her say that she was obsessed with having babies. I never once heard anything about her wanting to take my son to raise him. But what I did hear was a confession of her talking about how she was a part of a gang and how they had a plan to kill me, perform a C-section on my body, take my son because they already had a buyer over the border waiting for them in Mexico. And then they were going to sell Ryland, also sell some like marijuana. I think, I, I think, I think they were drug dealers. So they were also going to sell like a big stash and then just go live in Mexico at that point. And that is like what her whole confession is in all the CDs that I have. Like that's that's what she goes, that's what she states. And if you guys remember, I started to... And when I barely found this out in 2020. So this all happened in 2011. Here I am in 2020 finding all of this out. And I started to remember things and piece things together. Like the fact that she wanted me to go to the park. She states in the confession, she wanted me to go to the park because... He was waiting down the street for me in a van. They were waiting for me so they could just take me back to her house. There were also moments that I remembered where she kept trying to bribe me to come to her house that day. So she'd be like, oh, we should leave and I could go make you some food or I can make you some cookies. And I was like, no, I'm okay. Like my mom's making us lunch right now. But she was continuously trying to get me out of that house to go with her somewhere. 
And I just kept declining. So like when it wasn't working, she had like, you know, and she had different plans because when plan A didn't work, there was plan B. When plan B didn't work, there was plan C. The fire was never supposed to be a part of the plan. And she even states that in the confession. It just all worked out perfectly. And she was like, it. she basically, what did she say? She says that the fire was something that she didn't have, like it wasn't a part of the plan, but it worked out because then it would just burn my body with all the evidence and they would never, like they wouldn't know. My body would just be disintegrated at that point. I can barely even speak. It is so unreal with the amount of different plans of action to make this fetal abduction and ultimately murder of you happen. It is, it's almost unbelievable that it didn't happen. If I can say it like that, I I don't have softer words to say it with. I apologize for that, but it's, it's unbelievable. There had to have been something protecting you. Those instincts that you had are really coming to mind to me right now of like, what protected you against not just one attempt with one potential way, but another and another and another and another. Unbelievable. And I'm so happy it didn't happen. I'm also extremely curious as to why they didn't tell you, I'm going to say the truth, to the confession. Do you know why they didn't? No, I I don't know why. Um, You know, I've always... When I came out with my story on TikTok, people were like, you need to go after, you know, Pinal County, you need to go after them. And it's just one of those things where I feel like I waited way too long. I, I did. I waited way too long to investigate and to want to know the truth. And all I can say is that I was so traumatized by everything. I wanted it all not to be real. So I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to acknowledge it, which is why when the reporter gave it to me, it was almost like, here's all the information that you've always been looking for. And immediately my response was shred it. I literally put it through a shredder because I didn't want to know. I was too scared to know what the actual truth was. And I felt like I finally came to peace that she wanted my, you know what? She was behind bars too. So I didn't feel scared. I didn't feel nervous. I didn't feel like I was in harm's way. I felt good when she got sentenced. So I was like, okay, I'm okay. But when 2020 came, I had just went to her release in 2019 in August. So when I went to her release, it became more like, what did this reporter say to me? And then I saw Save Our Children about, you know, pedophiles and about all these certain things about people trafficking other kids. And it became more real. And it started to just, I was very curious. And I knew there was nothing I could do about it, but I was like, I want to know the truth. Like now that she's out and about and now that she's out in this world in the same state that I am, like I absolutely just need to know what happened. And I felt more confident to know. So I went down the rabbit hole and that's kind of the rabbit hole I got myself into. (laughs) But I just, I obviously would like to know the truth, but I don't believe that I'll ever actually know it. I believe that I just waited way too long to do something about it. Now that Cassandra is out and about, do you ever worry about her coming back into your life? There was moments where I did, you know, I took time off of work for a really long time and I was actually like really nervous. But one thing that made me not feel as nervous was when I went to her release. I feel like somebody that felt like they were still upset about everything, they would stare you down and they intimidate you. And she wasn't like that in the court. Like when when I went to her release, she was not like that. I spoke and I try, I spoke to the board and I tried to get them to because she was at she was in Ash, which is the Arizona State Hospital. So 
I talked to the board and I wanted them to keep her because I didn't believe that she was well enough to be out. And even then, the way she would not look at me, she would not like, almost like she was ashamed. And that was the moment that I realized, I don't think that she'll come back after us. I think that she wanted a baby. And whether whatever story it is, whether she was going to sell my son or whether she was obsessed with having babies, my son is now, you know, he's going to be 13. So at that time, he was going to be, I think, 11 or 10. And all I kept thinking was she wanted a baby. She didn't want my child. She wanted, she just wanted a baby. And Rylan's no longer a baby. So I feel like I felt better, I guess you could say. Even now, like, you know, she lives her life. I live my life. I am very vocal about my story now. And it's not to put her down or to shame her or to say all these different things. Honestly, something that I feel like women should know happens because fetal abduction has been happening way more often. I mean, nobody should ever be murdered. Let's just start there. No one should ever be murdered. But this crime that used to be so small is now happening more often. And that's scary. And I think you guys posted, I love what you guys posted about the number one. Wait, what was it? It was the number one cause of death for a pregnant woman is homicide. homicide. And I'm so glad you bring that up because there are other cases like Bobby Joe Stinnett and Savannah Graywin who come to mind when I think of fetal abduction. In those cases, the victims um, passed at their predator's hands. And, you know, this deranged individual brutally attacked them and with the intention of stealing their baby. And so as you've been sharing your story publicly, I'm curious what your experience has been like. I know that you've connected with other family members of victims who have experienced fetal abduction. I believe um, you connected with Reagan Hancock's mom on social media. Can you tell us about those connections? Can you tell us about what it's been like just sharing this story um, on social media? Yeah. You know, telling your story on social media is actually really, really scary. And it was really nerve wracking. The amount of support that I had absolutely helps me and makes me want to share my story more and gives me that confidence. I had posted on Instagram my story for the first time. And Reagan Hancock's mom commented on it. And then she went and messaged me, like private messaged me and just thanked me for talking about this because this crime is not talked about enough. You know, there aren't survivors of fetal abduction. As far as my knowledge, there's, you know, me and then there's another survivor. Besides that though, any like investigating that I've ever done, I, you normally either see that the mother and the child have both passed away or just the mother has because this crime is so horrific. It's, it's insane. And so Reagan's mom had just thanked me for advocating basically something that I've, and I, I guess I didn't realize at that moment that I was advocating for not just myself and my son, but I was advocating for the ones that don't have a voice anymore because you know, they're not here anymore. And so that made me feel really good and made me realize that I am here. I am alive. I am here to tell my story, but it's also shedding light on the crime of fetal abduction itself. Another way you are talking about your story or will be talking about your story is that you are writing a book. Tell us about where you are in the process. Tell us everything about the book. Yes. So I am writing a book and it's been a very long process. I'm not going to lie. I'm not even almost done, to be honest. I started to write my book. I was doing really, really good because 
talking, I get really nervous. I know I'm I'm really good at explaining everything, but imagine what it sounds like in writing. It's going to be amazing. But I, I've taken a little bit of a break from that. When my mom passed, I just completely shut down. We're about to come on to a year now of my mom's passing. And I still have not picked up from where I left off. It's just anyone that's gone through grief understands that sometimes you just need time to get your life back in order. And this happens to be one of those things. You know, I used to write and then I would go call my mom and talk to her about it and read her a chapter and see, you know, what she thought and get her uh, opinion of it. So now I put a little bit of a halt, but my goal for this year is to have my first draft done and edited. So that is my goal. So I am writing away now and I'm getting really excited about it because in my book, I not only talk about, you know, I, I, I talk about my story and I give extreme details of what happened from beginning to end and just how I met her, who I was before. But I also am very strong about talking about that intuition and that gut feeling and what it feels like. My intro is like my favorite part. I think I did a little clip on like Instagram and on TikTok, but that is probably like my favorite thing about the book is the intro to it of talking about like that gut feeling and have you ever had that type of feeling type of thing? Because it draws you in to make you understand that you're not alone, that you've had those feelings before and to listen to it. We can't wait to read your book and we will definitely let our listeners know when it does become available. We're rooting for you. Thank you so much for being here today. Do you want to plug any socials and let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, so I'm mainly on TikTok. So it's Angelique Monet Zero. And that's where you guys can find me. That's pretty much the only place that you can do like 10-minute videos and hear my story and kind of see everything. I do have an Instagram, but I recently have put my Instagram to private. So I apologize. (laughs) What an honor to talk to you today. Thank you so much for sharing your story, especially on your traumaversary. It means a lot that you're willing to talk to us and share with our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you guys for having me on. It's been amazing just to be able to, you know, talk about it on someone else's platform, which happens to be your guys' podcast. It's it's, It's an honor. Thank you. Make sure you follow us on all of our socials at The Murder Diaries Pod. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.